Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. Oh, this week's episode is this once again the age of Maleficent. Fortnite has gone and done it again and it's our annual discussion on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All this and more as we reach our next stop the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to our entire plethora of outstanding podcasts. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He's our own rock star of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that's going on today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and everything that he's doing with Topic Ocalypse and his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. All set for a great weekend, my friend. This is the part where in post you're going to add Twisted Sister song that goes, uh, wait, no, who sings the song? I want to rock! Dun, it dun, it dun, is dun, Twisted, Twisted Sister, Sister. Yeah, it is B. Thought. Snyder, and it is unfortunately not going to go on here because I cannot pay the copyright. All right, everyone. So uh, you heard that. And now, if you want to pay it for me, or we can start a Patreon, we'll just call it Pop Culture Cosmos Patreon Copyright Fund. There, there we go. go. There, we, there go. we go. I'm good, man. How's it going? I'm doing all right, my friend. It's going to be an awesome weekend. Like I was saying, there's a lot of movies coming out and there's a lot of things going on within the realm of the box office. So we're going to talk about that here in a sec. Plus also as well, coming up in a few minutes right after that, we're going to talk about the great marketing move that Fortnite did this past week. My gosh, they got everybody's attention. The whole internet went into an uproar almost as much as Jennifer Aniston's Instagram with all the stuff that went on with Fortnite. So we're going to talk about that. And then also as well, we're going to have a big time discussion as we do every year with our good friends, Mike Faber from the ESO Network, and also as well, Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast. They're coming back on the show once again, as they do every year, talking about the latest nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Again, we've got Rob McCallum coming up on today's show with his latest off-the-cuff segment. And then on top of that, we've also got... On the back end, our continual countdown of the top 200 video games of all time. This time, we're up to number 31 to number 40 in our top 200 list. But my friend, this weekend is going to be doing some rocking and rolling because there's a lot of great stuff coming out to the theaters and a lot of great things that are already there. This weekend, you have two movies that are coming out into wide distribution, including Zombieland 2, Double Tap. Also, as well, you're having Maleficent 2 award winner Parasite, which had big numbers for the few theaters that was in last weekend. That's also going to get expanded upon. And two movies which are getting a lot of buzz, which includes The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe and Jojo Rabbit from Taika Waititi. That's also coming out into a limited number of theaters. Those two are getting limited releases as of now, and they're going to be brought out into more and more theaters along with the award-winning Parasite as well. So that's a great list of movies that are coming out or being expanded upon this weekend. It all starts with Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, the movie which did over $700 million the last time around. The sequel, I'm going to be honest with you, my friend, 
I didn't see much in the way of advertising on this one this time around, so I don't expect big things, which is kind of disappointing for this type of movie, considering who's behind it. I know we discussed that before, but I haven't seen a lot of marketing going on for it. Like, I honestly, I didn't even know that that was happening until I saw a billboard with it over in Rossmore here next to me. Did you see the first one? Was it good? Like, I, because I remember it came out so long ago, and I've talked to people who said it was okay, but I mean, did you see it? Were your girls interested in it at all? How was it? They were semi into it. I thought it was okay. I, I agree with the, your friends who have noted that it was okay. That it was, you know, an all right Disney movie at best. I don't think it was that memorable, but the fact that, as you and I both know, if it's something makes over $700 million at the box office, most likely you're going to make a sequel. They did, but its placement on the schedule is kind of weird, kind of strange. But the fact is that there has been a substantial amount less promotion than the first movie that came out in the Maleficent series, which really is it's kind of strange as well. I'm, I'm wondering why they're not going ahead and putting more ad dollars into it. I've seen only internet ads. I've not seen one TV commercial. I know they're probably out there. I know some of our listeners have probably already had a chance to see it. The only trailer I saw really was when it was first announced as far as when it was coming out in October. That's the first one, only one I've seen. So I, I'm really kind of stunned that Disney hasn't really put more into it because it tells me that Disney does not have enough faith in the product itself. It tells me that even though there's mediocre reviews on the movie overall, that they don't have long-term plans for the Maleficent series. Yeah, which is weird because if you go to Disneyland, like there's a lot of Maleficent merchandise being sold at the stores. So it's weird to me because Disney has always been someone that's cut their losses, right? Like look at John Carter, look at Dumbo. Dumbo, yeah, and they're still and they're then, still. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, something in time. Um, oh, like, Wrinkle in Time, book. yeah, Wrinkle in Time, yeah. And like they they're still going after things. So you think that like they would know this is a sign of a bad movie? Wrinkle in Time, another one that suffered from marketing issues. John Carter suffered from marketing issues. Maleficent, I don't know how well it's going to end up doing, but it is suffering from marketing issues from you know where I'm standing. But I don't know how well the box office numbers are going to come back. But yeah, it's a weird time because it's coming out. It's still going to be in theaters, I guess, when Frozen 2 comes out. So it's just, it's a weird place to put a film like that. And it's a weird thing. They're not really talking about it that much. You're not seeing a lot of trailers on TV. You're not seeing a lot of trailers in movies. You're not seeing a lot of like bus signs or, or posters on, at bus stops. Or, you know, I saw one billboard for it. That's how I found out it existed. And I know people who are saying like, yeah, maybe I'll go check it out. But like, even just watching the trailers, the trailers are not edited very well. It doesn't look that good. Yeah, it does not look very promising. It's only expected to garner right around 40 to $50 million domestically, which for a Disney movie that has some type of stature, which this one should, considering the fact that the first one did relatively well, according to Disney standards, is kind of disappointing. So this one looks like they're just sending it out there almost to essentially die at the box office. Kind of reminds me of the sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman. The sequel, when it came out, was without Kristen Stewart and pretty much was sent out there to die. And even though Chris Hemsworth was in it, well, maybe because Chris Hemsworth was in it and it wasn't a Marvel movie. Those movies were really dry, too. Did you feel that way when you were watching them? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, all I can tell you is that it is going to be something that is probably going to win the weekend at the box office, but it's not going to win up by much. The Joker in its third week, if it has the same type of drop, it will probably be right behind it at the box office. But then you have Zombieland 2 Double Tap, a movie that's finally coming out after 10 years after the first one came out. I've discussed this before with you on a previous podcast about how I thought 10 years is a little bit too much distance plus also putting it in this crowded marketplace. Maybe even waiting a week closer to Halloween might have sufficed a little bit better. It's only looking like it's going to do around $20 million here domestically at the box office, but that doesn't mean it can't turn a profit at some point in time with some good international returns because it is not as big budgeted of, of a movie as, let's say, Maleficent 2 for that matter. So I want to ask you your thoughts on Zombieland 2. The first one was really good, really entertaining, something that a lot of people seem to enjoy, especially after it hit the theaters and went into home video and that marketplace. It seemed to gain a life of its own from that extent. Is 10 years too late for Zombieland to go ahead and find a new and also revised audience that will go ahead and make it into a decent hit? 
No, with Zombieland, it's interesting because like it had a lot of momentum and it was really good when it first came out, but they sat on the sequel for so long. I thought that it was going to go the way of World War Z when you know we had all these writers and it looked so promising and then just never came to fruition. And I thought that's what was going to happen with Zombieland. Right now, they're having this issue where people are getting really burnt out on zombie stuff because of The Walking Dead, right? So with Zombieland 2 coming out, they're really in an awkward time because the zombie fad, I feel like it's coming to an end. People don't care about it anymore. There's not a lot of movies coming out about it. Even like B-grade horror movies have completely moved on from the zombie genre. They're moving on to, uh, you know, vicious animals fighting each other or like haunted house flicks, you know, people making fun of paranormal investigations. They've moved beyond the zombie stuff. So Zombieland, I'm curious how it's going to do because while it still has a cult following, people do really love the first one. It's a fad that's coming to an end. And as such, it seems like this is not the right time to put it out. But I could be wrong. You know, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I told you, it is the wrong time, I think, for it to be put out. I mean, if you had to go ahead and release it this year, I guess next week or closer to Halloween would probably suffice for me better. But putting it right now with Maleficent debuting and then the Joker still doing well probably will prove to be a mistake. They're focused more on seeing the Joker if they haven't seen it yet or seeing Maleficent if they've got the kids or if they want to go ahead and search if they're in a area which has the movies. And there's not one, not two, but three movies playing right now in limited release in Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, and The Lighthouse. Those three movies have gotten a lot of buzz. So you've got three movies right there in limited release that a lot of people would be looking forward to seeing maybe and you know and, and concentrating, trying to find a place where they can have it close by. But in the wide release, it looks like Zombieland 2 is going to be a distant third in the running as far as box office, either on a domestic or a worldwide scale, which is kind of disappointing because I thought the movie in the earlier part of this decade had enough cachet to go ahead and say, you know what, we've got a great movie here that could go ahead and make more money as a sequel. But unfortunately, due to timing issues, due to box office issues, due to other things that are going around with this movie, it looks like it's too little too late. What are your thoughts out there on the box office this weekend? Are you going to check out Maleficent, Mistress of Evil? Are you going to check out Zombieland 2, Double Tap? Are you going to check out The Joker? Are you going to check out Jojo Rabbit, The Lighthouse, or even Parasite? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. The box office is really starting to get heavy with some big-name films that are coming out there, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. Popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, so popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. But before we head to the break, I want to ask you real quick. It was all over the internet. People were freaking out. Oh, my gosh. So terrible. Oh, my gosh. Because the original map for Fortnite got sucked up into a black hole this past weekend. And everybody was freaking out. You had parents flooding the call centers for the Fortnite helpline, just pleading what was going on with it and and asking Epic to do something. It got word all over the internet. Everybody was talking about it. You know Epic had something in mind, and they did indeed. It was just their way of introducing a new map for Season 11, and a lot of people were breathing a heavy sigh of relief. I want to ask you, my friend, this to me was a masterful promotional stroke of genius because it got so much attention for a game that you and I both know has been declining in popularity since this time last year. I mean, we talked about it even in our most popular episode ever that now Roblox and Minecraft, games like that, have now surpassed it in popularity. So I ask you, my friend, with this promotional type event that happened as far as getting sucked in there, and Fortnite's been a game known to have these type of different intergame promotional events before in the past with Marvel and with John Wick and DJ concerts with Marshmallow and things like that inside the game. With all the stuff that's going on, was this their best maneuver ever? When you said that Fortnite had got sucked up into a black hole, I was feeling very happy. And then you started talking about how it was a marketing scheme, and I was just disappointed, man. Disappointed. You know Epic's not going to leave their moneymaker anytime soon. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's clever because our parents freaking out about it. Look at how much money they've invested in these things. Because they have to take care of their kids once again. That's why. (laughs) Right. 
Why it couldn't be their babysitter. Fortnite. Why was are you lingering in the kitchen? Why are you lingering in my office? Why are you talking? Who are you? Is what they're thinking. <laughs> There's also they probably have hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars invested in this game because that's what all their kids are playing. And even look at the thing where the parents are paying Fortnite tutors, right? The generation of kids coming up right now, they all think they're going to be professional streamers. They all think they're going to be YouTube stars. So it's natural that they would freak out thinking that Fortnite, their ticket to fame and fortune is gone. It's a panic. And I've had people talking to me about this. And now they've got people so interested and they're in the news again. People are freaking out about it. There's controversy. There's all kinds of stuff. Like they have hit all of the major marketing points with this new Fortnite update. Their actions this week have only served to gain interest into a bigger picture for them long term and may have reinvigorated people's interest into the game. So I consider it just an outstanding move and just something that I think a lot of developers might try to emulate down the road. But um, YouTube stars, um, I think we might be YouTube stars, at least in our own mind. But I want to hear your thoughts out there, everyone, on the Fortnite and their just their extreme way of going ahead and garnering attention like they did in this past week with the original map being sucked up in a black hole. I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead and bring it back at some point in time down the road. Did it bring you back into playing Season 11? We want to hear your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, I'm going to be talking to Mike Faber from the ESO Network and esonetwork.com. Also as well, Kevin Eldridge on the Flopcast because it's our annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame discussion because the nominees have been announced and we're going to talk about who do we think is going in, who do we want to go in, and who do we think was snubbed when it comes to the nominees for the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, Check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Off the Cuff and No Go with Rob McCallum for the week of October 14th, 2019. Brought to you by Heroes Cards and Comics in London, Ontario. Official sponsor of my new series, Action Figure Adventure. This is the near weekly show where you write in with topics and you want me to talk about them for some unknown reason. And I seem to cater to your desire. Here's part two of last week's show. I apologize if some of these topics seem dated, but that's what you get when you want it off the cuff with No Go. Next topic was, does The Walking Dead need a third series, or is it time to end the universe? And it's a short answer this time, as long as people keep watching, they'll keep making. I expect this to go standalone seasons more than multi-season arcs, though. I think that they're going to probably do self-contained stuff, maybe not try to flush out a really big idea that could spawn several seasons, and look for those intimate stories that cater to the existing fans, kind of like American Horror Story, and just build it within a definite time period or story arc. With season two on the horizon, is it time for Hulu viewers to get into Castle Rock? You know, I've enjoyed every episode I've watched of Castle Rock, all two of them. There's just been other series or shows or movies that I've been more interested in. It's been really relegated to the back burner of my kind of content priorities. It also doesn't seem to be that viral water cooler kind of show to really demand, you know, our attention or my attention, which could stem from its place on Hulu and not being on a bigger platform with a wider audience. There just hasn't been anything really crazy coming out of it. I think back to shows like Breaking Bad, which really didn't hit its stride until it went onto a bigger platform like Netflix and helped build up the anticipation for season four and eventually season five. So I think maybe once season two is done and they maybe try to shift the show as a marketing device somewhere else, I think it'll find a bigger audience. Of course, this is one of the staples for Hulu that they've invested in, so I don't see that ever happening. Best insurance ad, what do you think? We know you're a Masters of the Universe fan. Uh, this is true. And is this really a writing question is my first thing. Uh, yeah, I like the Geico Masters of the Universe stuff. Uh, the Dirty Dancing parody is great, and I guess it's pop culture infiltrating an untapped space, which is something new for that group. Usually I think of insurance ads as, you know, things for my parents and, and stuff growing up. I keep forgetting from time to time that I'm an adult and I have to make these decisions. So I guess I'm gonna have to go with Masters of the Universe by default, uh, which seems just, you know, catering to the, to the crowd for better or worse. Last week, we speculated about the future of Star Wars and what will Star Wars be in the future? Well, events at New York Comic Con gave us a hint. From sci-fi, 
they say this. A top secret project called Project Luminous was announced at NYCC along with an intriguing tagline. The Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things until Project Luminous. More details are going to be revealed in the new year. Now, this sounds like some sort of genetic force enhancement technology and very sci-fi as opposed to Star Wars' more sci-fantasy roots. I think it's an interesting twist. It reminds me of some Final Fantasy type stuff. And hey, if it takes Star Wars in a new direction and helps to redefine what it should be, so namely a lot of people can't get upset about what they think it is and what it needs to be, then I think that's probably a good direction to go. The PlayStation 5 is now confirmed for holiday 2020. So what do I think? Well, I think console launches are always exciting, but particularly painful. Usually it takes a couple years for developers to hit their stride in terms of development, and honestly, I don't know what's gonna be so revolutionary about this new console. They're aiming to make the gaming experience more immersive, but I think it's pretty immersive shy of being VR, and we know how that ended up for Sony. Do I really need another console, another set desk device top thing to go along with the other boxes that still function perfectly well, still provide excellent play experiences? As if you couldn't tell, I'm not that excited for the PS5, which honestly sounds like a half-budgeted entry in a long-running 80s horror franchise and mainly for the same reasons. How are you going to impress me given all you've done so far? Masters of the Universe, the movie, the big tentpole feature is going to Netflix? Given you made a documentary on the subject, Rob, what are your thoughts on Masters of the Universe skipping the theatrical release, possibly? Well, I think it's smart, it's a very risky property, and frankly, I think more people will likely see it on Netflix anyways. A theatrical release would only be for advertising and for brand awareness to get a lot of people kind of excited, build the hype machine. But that seems like a lot of cash to get the word out when Netflix already caters to fans of this kind of show and has several series out there, like Toys That Made Us, Power of Grayskull Documentary, The New she Show, and they've got a Masters of the Universe anime series from Kevin Smith. So they've kind of got a lot of the cards to begin with. I think it's a good move. I think it keeps it controllable and likely affordable. It also means that it could be another big must-have hit for Netflix. It could be a massive success. And if it doesn't turn out well, well then it'll fade away without ever really angering anybody. So for me, that's kind of a win-win. That's it for this week. If you want to weigh in on a topic or you want to riff on something related to pop culture, hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rob McZob. And you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. All right, and we're back with the program. It's Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos coming right back at you here. Well, it's that time again. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced its nominees for 2020 for its induction into the Hall of Fame. There's an outstanding list of individual groups, artists, and so much more when talking about the nominees for the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But it wouldn't be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame conversation without my good friends from the ESO Network. First off, in the outstanding show, The Flopcast, it is the chicken man himself, Kevin Eldridge. How's it going, my friend? Hey, Gerald. It's going great. And I look forward to uh, these annual visits we have on Pop Culture Cosmos to run through this uh, list of nominees once again. I look forward to it. And then I don't look forward to it because as you and I go through every year... It gets a little painful towards the end of the interview, and you and I both know why. It devolves, if you will, uh, Devo style, into uh, yeah, you and I just weeping and complaining. And people look forward to that, though, I think. I think so. I think so as well. We have a, a gentleman that actually joined with us the first time, I think, last year in our annual conversation. He is a great man indeed. He is one of the, the men behind pulling the strings for the ESL Network. You got to check out everything going on today with Earth Station One and all the awesome shows that are part of the ESL Network today at ESLNetwork.com. It is a good man indeed as well. It is director Mike Faber. How are you, my friend? Very well, thank you. You also forgot the title of chief bottle washer. You know. Well, you haven't given me my parking space at the ESO company building yet. Yeah, I know, but you know, we have handicap spots right in the front for you, so it's it's okay, my friend. Well, don't get me started. Don't get me started. As I like to say, just walk with a limp. No one will notice. But it's an honor to be back. It's a great topic. We got some great nominations actually this year. Absolutely, we've got a great list of nominees. Just cannot thank you enough, both of you, for being part of it today. And all right, there's going to be some heavy discussion here going on because the list is certainly stacked. 
And the nominees we're going to go ahead and choose from are the following. Whitney Houston, the Dave Matthews Band, Depeche Mode, Soundgarden, the Doobie Brothers, Pat Benatar, Notorious B.I.G., T-Rex, Motorhead, Judas Priest, Todd Rundgren, Thin Lizzy, Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, Nine Inch Nails, Kraftwerk, and MC5. That's a pretty darn good list. I think Kevin and, and Mike, the, in the years that we've spoken to each other about it, I know, Mike, you've listened to our show previously on this in, in years past before you came on the air. I think this could be the most stacked list for this year's nominees. Kevin, I'll start with you. Your thoughts when you first heard the announcement of the nominees for this list. Yeah, it's a pretty strong list, and it's a fun list, and it's a list that I don't really have a problem with. Uh, a lot of diversity on this list as far as they're hitting some metal acts and, and uh, uh, some rap, uh, going back to some 70s classic stuff. So we're really uh, all over the place with this, and uh, a lot of first-time nominees, uh, some of whom I think have a good shot of getting in on their very first nomination, then you've got those kind of always the bridesmaids act that have been nominated again and again. And I think the the, the top list for that would be a Kraftwerk. This is number six for them. Uh, MC5, their fifth nomination. And uh, for Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan and Rufus, uh, this is uh, their fourth. Every year it seems to go by as far as it's concerned for all those acts. It, it's, it's hard because they, they don't have a lot of commercial recognition and name recognition. I mean, Chaka Khan, we know, but Rufus, the, her band, is not very well remembered, I think. And certainly uh, MC5 and Kraftwerk were not big commercially. Uh, certainly Kraftwerk in America, never big commercially. So that, that's always been stacked against them. And that everybody says, oh yeah, that's good. They're cool. And then a whole bunch of other acts that are bigger names get voted in every year. Very, yeah. very true, Kevin. Mike, when you saw the list, what were your thoughts? I agree completely with what you both have said so far. I think this is a very strong new class coming in. I could easily see almost every one of them going in and was shocked to see that the Doobie Brothers had not been in yet because they're so iconic from the 70s. And so, you know, I put them up, the Doobie Brothers up there with the Allman Brothers and the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac who have all been inducted into the hall. Some of the others, you know, it would be great to see in Motorhead, Judas Priest, T-Rex. You know, these are all great bands. And some I think are just going to fall by the wayside, though, this year, just because there's so many strong nominees. And that's a shame when it comes to a group, especially like Kraftwerk, which has, uh, I guess, been given a lot of the credit for developing what is the EDM or electronic sound that we hear today. Each one on this list is deserving in and of themselves in their own way. So let's get that out of the picture right there. So this is very hard for the voters and also us here on the show to go ahead and pick five to go ahead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm going to have to put it up to you guys that, you know, I know you guys ever since the list came out have been thinking about, hmm, I'm going to have to go on the pop culture cosmos here pretty soon and talk about this. So I better come up with five nominees that will ultimately be inducted and enshrined into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, Kevin, I'm going to start with you. This is not who I expect to get in. This is if they put me in charge with this list to work from. These are the five that I would put in off this list. We've talked about craft work quite a bit already. Uh, they're one of my five. Uh, I got Todd Rundgren on my list. And Todd, this is his uh, second nomination. He was nominated last year for the first time. I may be influenced to go with Todd just because I just happened to have seen Todd Rundgren perform live last week. So he's very, very fresh in my mind because I saw him do a fantastic show it was it was a beatles tribute uh, supergroup concert that we went to just last week that todd was a part of and he's done just so much over the years with his solo work and all the bands he's worked with and writing and producing and done it all so i'm going todd rundgren metal and hard rock is an area that's been deficient in the hall i think overall and we've got two bands that are way overdue on this list and that's motorhead and my pick is judas priest 
I don't think they're both going to get in this year. Judas Priest has been nominated twice now, and uh, I'd like to see them finally get in. And there's a long list beyond that. Otherwise, you've got another thing coming. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Nicely done. Iron Maiden is probably the other uh, big metal act that's way overdue to, to get into this conversation, but I'm going Judas Priest. I was really happy to see Whitney Houston on this list, and she's been eligible for many years now, and yet this is her first nomination. Is she it because absolutely... of the style of music that she's represented? Yeah. She's, she's a pop, I think uh, so. one of the, the most iconic pop artists of all time. Yeah, definitely, because the, the, the pop acts, which I believe have a place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I have no problem with, you know, because the, there are people who say, Whitney, she's not rock and roll, this is the rock and roll, but, you know, it, I think it's a big tent, I think there's room for it, but Whitney definitely should be in the hall, so I'm happy to see her on the list as well. My top pick, and someone who's always been at the very top of my list for quite a while, or so, among my top people that I think it's long overdue, is Pat Benatar long overdue. And again, we've, we're looking at a list of 16 acts here, and only three of them are women or a group that contains women. I think they still have a long way to go in getting more women on these initial lists of nominations. It should be more than three out of 16 because Pat Benatar, great, finally she's on this list, but I'm still waiting for the Go-Go's. And there's many more beyond that. You know, Go-Go's, Bangles, Cher. I'm surprised Cher has never been part of this conversation. Tina Turner, as a solo performer, I think should be inducted. She's in already with Ike, but she should be in on her own as well. Cindy Lauper, you know, that list goes on and on. So anyway, I'm rambling, but those are my, my, my picks. Uh, Gerald would be Judas Priest, Pat Benatar, Whitney Houston, Todd Rundgren, Kraftwerk. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And I'll tell you what, my friend, we'll come back to you on who you think will ultimately go in here in a second. But Director Mike, I want to hear your five. If you were picking... If you and the ESO Network band were actually already enshrined into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you, you were given that ballot to vote, who are the five that you would be picking? I think Whitney Houston is definite for the first cut. also think Dave Matthews Band, also Pat Benatar, like Kevin had said. She is well overdue. I also think we are looking at Soundgarden. So that right there is my four. And for my fifth, I'm torn because... Like I said, I think the Doobie Brothers should have been there years ago. But I'm going to say probably Notorious B.I.G. because it's representing the rap community. That would be my five. There you go. Those are your five, and you heard Kevin's five. My five, I think Whitney Houston is a no-brainer. For number two, I would probably go a little bit off-base. I would go with what Kevin was saying and go Kraftwerk. Judas Priest, I think they're going to go ahead and be my number three. Number four, I would probably agree with Mike on Soundgarden. And number five, I think I'm going to go a little bit in a different direction. I think I'm going to go and reach out to Depeche Mode, who actually will get in. I think that's going to be a little bit different. So I think who will get in, my list is as follows. Whitney Houston, Notorious B.I.G., Judas Priest, Nine Inch Nails, and then number five is Soundgarden. So, Kevin, I come back to you. If you're in Vegas like I am right now, and you think who are the favorites to get in, the top five favorites you think will get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, wow. It's tough this year. And like I wouldn't be shocked to see any of these people get in. 
And I'm also really bad at this every year, so I, I'm probably cursing anybody that I name will definitely not get in. I think my list would be similar to yours, though, Gerald. I'm going to say Notorious B.I.G. It's been three years, I think, since a rap act was inducted. I think the last one was Tupac Shakur, which was at least three years ago. So I feel like we're about due to induct another rap act. So I'll go Notorious B.I.G., Judas Priest, Doobie Brothers, and might be maybe a little too optimistic on my part, but I'm going to say let's like a, a strong year for women. And I'm going to say let's induct both Pat Benatar and Whitney Houston uh, are both going to get in this year. Director Mike, we're up to you, my friend. Who do you think will go in? I mean, we heard your picks on who you would like to go in, but who do you think will go in? All right. We'll go in. Definitely Whitney Houston. Almost guaranteed. I would also like to say probably want to say torn because I thought my picks were pretty much on. So, you know, I'd like to say those would be the ones to go in, but I'm going to say Whitney Houston, Pat Benatar definitely will go in. I probably think maybe Craftworks might get in this time just because, you know, how much of an innovator they were. Definitely think Dave Matthews band and probably Soundgarden would probably be the ones that would go in because Dave Matthews to this day is so popular and is, is pretty much, this is the first year they were eligible. And I almost think, you know, they're a shoe in, especially with the, who the judges are and who's gotten in already in a lot of ways. Well, if the rock and roll hall of fame is located on gray street, they're a shoe in. That's all I'll say. Understandable. I love that song. I love that song. But anyways, I won't go into the rendition of it because I don't have his voice. But anyways, we will talk about something else right now, which is someone always gets left out. That is well-deserving. That is needing to be in there, you know, in our opinion, that for one reason or another, political, music taste, popularity, or otherwise, just does not make the cut each and every year or just didn't make the cut this year. So I'm going to start with you, Director Mike. Exactly who, one artist, one artist that you can mention that did not make the cut. I know you mentioned one earlier, but in your opinion, what one artist on this list to be nominated that you think should, would, or should go into the Hall of Fame at some point in time? Does it have to be somebody that's on this list? No, no, that's not. That's, well, I'm going to... Gonna... A removal a uh, or someone, an artist that's that deserves to be at least considered for this list. Truthfully, I'm going to come out and say it right out. Weird Al Yankovic. I think I said yes. it last year. Weird Al deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, he is a talented musician. He has one of the most killer bands ever surrounding him. And he's a brilliant songwriter. He just doesn't do parodies like people think. He writes original songs. And a lot of those original songs are parodies of the artists themselves, not just the song itself. And it's just amazing. And he, you know, most parody artists over the years are flash in the pan. Al is coming up onto his 40th anniversary soon in the industry. And, you know, it's almost like a slap in the face to the industry if he's not nominated for the Hall of Fame. That's a pretty good suggestion right there. I would not disagree with you all on that. As someone who also is a Weird Al Yankovic fan, I know you have actually seen him in concert. Was it last year? Uh, multiple times. I've seen him for the last five years. Exactly. And he most recently had a number one hit, I believe, on his uh, album earlier this decade. So... It's great to see finally that he's getting the recognition that he deserves for the talent that he does bring and that he's just not, okay, I'm going to take X song, make a couple changes to it, and there you go. He's been so creative in how he goes about it, plus making his own original artistry. I think he would be a very, very good choice as well. Mm -hmm. Just not only to be considered, but to actually be enshrined into the Hall of Fame. Exactly. He's just not a, you know, a regular musician. He's a Grammy award-winning musician. And I think he's actually even won Emmys and other awards too. So it's not like he's just, you know, just some guy. He is, you know, I think he's well worth it. Probably maybe I could take off half this list to put him in their place. Very well said. And also a movie star as well of 
some repute as far as cult movie star, I should say. You know, if right. anybody's seen UHF, that great movie, which they should see. <laughs> But all right, Kevin, we come to you, my friend. And I think right. I've got my Kleenex handy. <laughs> so, all right, Kevin, I think there's going to be one artist that you're going to mention. Yeah. So go ahead. I'll let I'll, you have it this year. I'll say real quick that I, I completely agree with Mike as well, for one thing. I'm also a huge, huge, huge Weird Al fan as well and completely agree. Now, that said, uh, as far as who was, uh, and you've heard me complain about many acts that have not been inducted that should be. And, and um, you know, it was great to see Pat finally nominated this year, Pat Benatar. Devo was finally nominated for the first time last year. And that's someone who's been on my complaining list for a long time. So at least they have a nomination. Hopefully they'll be back on the list someday. But top of my list, most ridiculously overlooked act in the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you know who I'm talking about, Gerald, and that's the Monkees, of course, <laughs> continue to be snubbed. Just ridiculous that, that they're not allowed to be in this uh, Hall of Fame. And it's really, a, it's a black eye on the museum. I, because I, this I'm, is I'm political. Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely. And it, it doesn't make the Monkees look bad. It makes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame look bad that they continue to uh, not invite the Monkees through the door. Now, there was an interesting development this year in that uh, Jan Wenner, who was the founder of Rolling Stone magazine and the founder of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is stepping away from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, he was the main guy who was dedicated to not letting the monkeys in, which means maybe that's going to open the door in the near future. If uh, if the people that are left behind with uh, Mr. Wenner's departure feel differently than he does about the monkeys deserving to be in, maybe they'll get in sometime soon. Not this year. No, not this year, but I'm hoping at some point in time they will. I mean, at least for the rest of the members that are still alive, because we've lost both Peter Tork and also Davy Jones, that hopefully, you know, the other two members of the monkeys will actually live to see a day where they're enshrined into the rock and roll hall of fame. Well, that's my nice. thought also. Yeah. It'd, yeah. It'd be, it'd be nice. It'd be fun to see Mickey and Mike get up there and uh, play some songs and, uh, and uh, get their induction. Peter Tork, who we lost this past year, told me personally several years ago that he just did not care <laughs> about the rock and roll hall of fame. And I believed him. And uh, Mickey also has been very gracious about the whole thing and says it, it's, it's fine. It, it's a private organization. They can do whatever they want. And, you know, Mickey knows where he stands with his fans, with his audience all these years later. So Mickey's fine. That show I saw Todd Rundgren at last week, also on the stage with Todd was Mickey Dolan's. He's out there as well on the same tour and he's having a great time. Sounds great. So uh, even if you and I are, are sad about the lack of monkeys in the hall of fame, the monkeys themselves, I think are, are just fine either way. Well, I'm a believer that, <laughs> one day that they will get in maybe after all of us are gone, but I'm hoping someday they will. Sure. All I right. Could, I oh. could also see Mike Nesmith getting in on his own because of his video work and such too. Maybe, maybe. But then again, I'm, I'm, you know, there could be a political sidestepping from that as far as him not even being considered because of the fact his contributions, however great they are from a video standpoint, would be stunted because of the fact that he is one of the monkeys. But <laughs> again, it comes down to being political when it comes to the monkeys and. And it's just very shameful that they are part of that conversation in that way. So, again, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But since you took my one individual act that is deserving to at least be on this list, I'm going to give you one. And, you know, Iron Maiden sticks, Motley Crue. I mean, just all those artists are great. I think, uh, you know, uh, there's also been talk about Oasis, although I'm not sure because Ugh. I would actually, you know, I would actually go ahead. <laughs> I would actually go ahead and have Oasis be enshrined just to see if we could get the brothers together for just one second and see if they could talk to each other because they can't stand each other as far right. as from what I remember, the Gallagher brothers. So, yeah, that just, you know, I would pay just to see that, to maybe like a pay-per-view or something. Of the acts, I would say, that are out there that are not named monkeys, I would probably say Beck. Ah. Oh, that's a good yeah. one. 
just done a great job over 20 years now in the industry. Just his music has just set a tone, I think, for a lot of, of individuals out there. Just seems to re keep on reinventing himself for each decade that he, he comes about and just continues to put out good music time and time again. But as of now, he's still a loser baby because he's still not included yet. But I think when he qualifies, because maybe it's an issue of what, him, whether or not yeah. he's qualifying. Yeah, I'm not but, sure if he's eligible yet. If he's not, it will be any time now. He's, he's getting definitely close. If, if he's not, if he hasn't hit that 25-year mark yet, I think coming, he, it's coming very soon, if not already. I, I, well, I think that, he is. I think he is. 1994, this was his first year. Actually, Beck put out his first album in 88. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, he definitely qualifies. So if he put out his first, because this leads to 1994, starting then, so they're now automatically eligible. So yes, that, definitely Beck would be on the list for me. So that's some great talk right there from you guys on the list, on the nominees and who we'd want in and who we think will go in and all that for the nominations for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020. You guys have just been a great conversation with you. But before we head on out, we got to be talking shop in regards to your shows. Kevin, I'll start with you first. You be flopping on the Flopcast <laughs> each and every week. So tell me about some good stuff with chickens when it comes to the Flopcast. Yeah, my show is the Flopcast, and that is my wonderful co-host. Uh, her name is Cornflake. Uh, Cornflake and I do a, a very silly, ridiculous show for the ESO Network every single week, and we've We've been doing a lot of music talk, actually, on the Flopcast lately, especially the last 10 episodes we did. We were kind of looking back on each year of the 80s as far as the top 10 songs each each week we go through from uh, all 10 years of the 80s. So we do a lot of, a lot of music talk, a lot of concert reports if we go out and see a show, that kind of thing. Uh, but also just pop culture silliness in general. And also we do talk about chickens for no particular reason all the time. Very, very silly show, a lot of fun. And uh, you can find us at flopcast.net and here on the ESO Network. All right, Director Mike. Mike, I just want to tell you, it's great to be part of the network. Our years that Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse have been a part of, we just truly cannot thank you enough and the ESO crew everybody involved with it just the interaction has just been a great experience overall and of course everybody listening to all of our shows on the eso network i cannot thank them enough for doing so but i want to go ahead and let you speak regarding the eso network because you are one of the guys behind the eso network why people should listen to the eso network why that's easy because we are a bunch of geeks recording podcasts for geeks and it's basically a bunch of shows that are brought together because we like to talk about all things geeky and, you know, time to let your inner geek out to play. And when you want to hear shows about chickens, when you want to talk about eighties nostalgia, when you want to talk about wrestling, when you want to talk about science, when you want to talk about literature, game of Thrones, Dr. Who, we have it all. And, you know, we're you know, always growing and we're always looking for new shows to join the network that fit the mold. And we just have been doing this now since 2012 as the network. And before that, Earth Station One, which is the founding show of the network, which hence the name ESO Network came from. Basically, we are about to celebrate our 500th episode. And we have, you know, been doing this once a week and we've only missed like once and it's just a bunch of fun to do it's a bunch of great time to talk to friends and talk to professionals and talk to just people who geek out and it's just all the different shows including the ones i host are always ready to geek you out and that's what we'd like to focus on and if everybody wants to check out all the great shows that they have including ours that's available now at esonetwork.com. There's a huge list of shows that all celebrate the world of pop culture, so many different topics. And, and I cannot thank you again publicly for allowing us at the Pop Culture Cosmos to be a part of it. Oh, it's an honor to have you guys at the PCC part of the network. And we're so happy that you guys have been with us for a couple of years now. And, you know, you're part of the growth. And that's wonderful. 
Well, I'm hoping still to be moved up for my seniority alongside Kevin right there in the parking stalls outside the ESO building. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case that someday will happen. Just like I hope the monkeys and Beck will actually get at least a nomination for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can't complain about that. There you go. There you go. Waiting for that parking spot. But guys, it's been great talking to you both. Our yearly session on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was actually pretty dry this year as far as the getting the Kleenex out because I think we've come <laughs> to grips with the monkeys. But tell you what, it's always great talking to you guys about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I wish each and every act the best of luck as far as getting in. They're all very deserving. And I'm hoping for the best when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Each year we talk about it. And I cannot thank you enough, guys, for doing so right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. All right, and we're back to close out the show. This is PCC Multiverse. If you need a listing where we're at because we're being played all around the world, seven days a week on radio stations worldwide, you can get a great listing of all of our radio stations. That's available today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you will see a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast options as well. Well, my friend, you've got a great thing going with Congratulations, You Suck. They're flying out the door, so tell people how they can get a hold of your awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. Get a copy on Amazon.com. I think there's still a few copies left. They're almost sold out, so you can check that out now. And also BarnesandNoble.com and a few other booksellers out there. I'm working on getting it into a few bookstores physically, so stay tuned for more info on that. And if you have picked up a copy, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I want to thank Mike Faber from the ESO Network and also as well Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast for being part of today's show. I also want to thank Rob McCallum for his off-the-cuff segment as well. All right, my friend, before we head on out, we need to be talking about the latest 10 in our top 200 video games of all time, as determined by our listeners and followers of the Pop Culture Cosmos. So here we go. Numbers 31 to 40. We're almost there, my friend. We're almost there. Number 40 is the original Double Dragon. 39, Overwatch. 38, Mario Kart 64. 37, Final Fantasy X. 36, Legend of Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link. 35, Fallout 3. 34, Super Mario Bros. 33, Grand Theft Auto 5. 32, Conker's Bad Fur Day. 31, is Super Smash Bros. the original on Nintendo 64. So I ask you, my friend... That's a heavy-duty list, some real heavyweights, including one of the biggest-selling video games of all time. In fact, one of the biggest arcade games of all time as well. So there's a big list for you, a lot of great memories for a lot of people. So I want to hear your thoughts on numbers 31 to 40 in our top 200 video games of all time. As much crap as I give you about Double Dragon, I remember actually really enjoying that game. And I remember waking up on Saturday mornings and watching the cartoon. Like, I was unable to hold my excitement for how excited I was about watching that cartoon. So I knew you're going to give me a shot when it comes to, no, no, I mean it though. Like I give you a lot of crap, so I'm sorry about that. Double dragon. I do have some good memories with it. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Mario Kart 64 is a different story though. This is one of those games where, you know, I told you I had never owned a Nintendo until I had the Wii and then the switch was my second Nintendo console. Mario Kart 64 is one of those games where I would make up excuses to go to friend's house who had Nintendo 64 to play this game. Normally, I love the competitive mode, but most of all, I love playing the battle mode, right? You do those maps. I remember this one specifically that had the four towers in each corner of it. And you would drive around. You had you can have your turtle shell spinning. There's the balloons, the rockets, stuff like that. And I remember just wanting to spend hours playing that game because... You didn't have to buy a little L bracket for your four-player add-on. So you just sit there and play with friends. Like, I bought a couple controllers so I can go over to a friend's house to play. Hours and hours of fun with this game. And I have it now on a Nintendo 64 I bought on eBay. And I still love it. still love to play it. Final Fantasy X is an interesting one. 
I played seven, played eight, loved nine, and then I got into ten. I bought it, and then I remember getting the strategy guide for Christmas, and I spent hours playing this game. And it was frustrating because I always got so far in the game, and my brother would accidentally save over my game because we shared a memory card. So back to Final Fantasy X, like I remember really loving this game because it was the first Final Fantasy that I'd played on, you know, the newer generation of consoles and it had an amazing story. It, you know, the storyline was not bogged down. It felt a little more real than the other games felt. Like it was the first kind of futuristic setting and it was the the cinematics were amazing. The characters were intriguing as whiny as Titus was at points, like you still He's a good protagonist. You felt sorry for him. You wanted to see things work out between him and Yuna. And then this was like the first one that actually had like a legit sequel. You know, it wasn't something that was an afterthought. Like After Years came out, you know, several years after Final Fantasy VI, I think, or four maybe. But it was good. I loved it a lot and I still do. I bought it on Nintendo Switch and I'm about halfway through it right now. And I, I really enjoy the game. It's something that I hope my kids will play one day. I'd love to play it with them. And it's a great game. So, you know, will we ever see Final Fantasy X-3? Who knows? You know, they've been talking about it for years. I would love to revisit the world of Spira. Going through here, Legend of Zelda 2, Adventures of Link. Never played the old ones. Do you have any experience with them? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. But again, that's something that I know Nintendo is very fond of probably reintroducing to a new audience. So it's something I've always wanted to go back to. Uh, going down to Fallout 3, I remember this having Liam Neeson in it. His voice was in there. Yeah, so that was fun. This was the first like actual Fallout game I played all the way through. So I really enjoyed that. I loved how challenging it was. It was nice to visit a world made by Bethesda that wasn't Elder Scrolls. So that was fun. I know it's won a bunch of Game of the Year awards, sold over 600,000 copies in the first month. So a lot of other people besides me really enjoyed it. Going on here, Super Mario Bros. Never played the original. I know, that sounds bad. Uh, Grand Theft Auto V. Conker's Bad Fur Day. Love this game because it was it's a very unassuming game, right? You assume it's just a game about a squirrel going on an adventure, and it, he ends up being, like, the most vulgar protagonist in any game that I've ever seen. And I know it's, a, it's one of the most sought-after Nintendo 64 games these days. So I love it, and I would like to go back and play it eventually. Smash Bros. N64, I played like three times, so I don't really have much to say on that. What about you, though? Any of these games stick out above the others? Well, GTA V sticks out just because it sold over 100 million copies. So I think that's probably, I mean, that's it's one of the biggest selling games of all time. One of the greatest success stories we will ever see when it comes to the video game platform. Mario Kart 64, absolutely a blast. I got it Nintendo 64, and that was one of the first games I played on it. Just absolutely a tremendous blast to play. Double Dragon, yes, I did work on the movie way back when, which is, of course, part of the reason why you and Jamie both give me a lot of stuff for it. But the actual game that it was based on was a lot of fun to play. I loved going to the arcades and going from the beginning to the end and going all the way and beating the final boss on it was just a great challenge. This is just a great list as far as a lot of games with some good history to it. Overwatch, I know you're not exactly the greatest fan of. It is one of Blizzard's success stories in fact obviously the fact that when you have a a league that's dedicated just to it obviously you're doing very well with it fallout 3 i still like new vegas over fallout 3 but it's still considered one of the best in the fallout series and another great game by bethesda but overall conquers bad for a day a lot of people have some fond memories of it and of course the original super smash brothers we couldn't have the iterations in the great series that it's become without the original. And Super Smash Brothers is a very solid game still, even to this day. So that's a great list. And I forgot to mention Super Mario Brothers, which I had so much fun of in the arcades and also at the local liquor store when I was, when I after school, I would just stop by, I would play for an hour here and there. It just was a great time playing Super Mario Brothers as well. So we have some memories of these games because this list right here this 10 is another awesome list of 10 right there for you if you want to check out the entire list of 200 it is available right now at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com there it's already up to number one you can see where your favorite games are at from number one to 200 otherwise just keep checking in on our shows the pc multiverse and pop culture cosmos will be breaking them down for you as well if you have any questions on them or great memories you want us to share on the show of any of these games in the top 200, let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com.
Well, it's been a great episode. Once again, I'd like to thank Mike Faber from the ESO Network, also as well, Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast, and of course, Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films. Any last thoughts on the way out? Yeah, we are going to be revisiting Martin Scorsese's thoughts on cinema and the MCU in the next episode, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be good. Absolutely, my friend. Just a little, your trigger finger, always, it gets a little bit, uh, it gets a little, we're going to be delving back into the comments that Martin Scorsese has made as he has done a double down on his comments on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I still have some issue with it, and I'm going to go ahead and share my thoughts on it as well, plus everything that's going on in the world of pop culture. So stay tuned to us right here on the Monday show, The Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.